0: Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Before I even read it, let me do something. God changed gears here. I want to get to know everyone's name if I can, and this will be a challenge for me, I realize that. So, and you fill out that little card that's in your bulletin, and sometimes you drop it in the offering back there, may I ask that from this Sunday forward, and there'll come an end to this, when you fill out that little card, leave it on the pew in the seat right next to you, fill out the card, put your name on it, address, anything else you want, and leave it right in the seat where you are. Because by and large, we all sat in the same spot. Uh, and I will slowly get your names, I hope. You know, we smile at each other, but we don't see each other smile because of the mask. And so I don't know how you really feel about me because of your mask, okay? <laughs> I know how you feel, but uh, that'll help me. Thank you for your patience here. Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13:1 and following. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts all of his hopes, all of his perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Let's do a little survey here. How many of you, how many of us, had that memorized at one time? 1 Corinthians 13 is one of those that we would have memorized. The young ones back there, you can still remember it. Most of us that had it memorized have forgotten it, unless we read it. Let me read just the first three verses from the Message Bible. The Message Bible. I like the Message Bible. I just printed this off from my computer. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything as plain as day, and if I have a faith that can say to a mountain jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Let me pray. So, God, speak to us. And help us to take one huge step in the direction of graduate-level love. In Christ's name, amen. There are different levels of love. Let's start with preschool love. Preschool love is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is the most basic level of love. That is the first type of love that you and I learned And when life throws us some really sharp curves and we can't comprehend what God is doing, all of us at one time or another have gone back to that very basic song and glad that it got stuck in our mind, Jesus loves me even when nobody else does. You understand what I'm saying there? We've all gone back to that level of love. Nothing wrong with going back to that level of love. The next level of love would be elementary school love. This is where I learn that Jesus doesn't love just me, but Jesus loves all the children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children, everybody. Everybody. So in elementary love, I begin to understand that Jesus loves not just me, but he loves everybody. I have a granddaughter that's in the fourth grade. So I taught her a new version of this song, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know. No, I taught her the I'm the guy that's confused up here. I knew that was going to happen. My wife's down here laughing at me. I knew that was going to happen, okay? I can't keep these two songs straight sometimes. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, orange, and green, strangest kids I've ever seen. <laughs> and that's what she will remember, okay? Okay? Not so. I hope so. So I begin to, they begin to understand that Jesus loves more than just me. Then there's junior high love, and this is where it begins to get difficult for us. That's when we start to learn, because Jesus loves me and Jesus loves everyone else, I should love everyone else also, but sometimes it's hard to love everyone else, Sometimes it's hard to love other people because other people aren't always loving back to me. Then there's high school love. That's where I learned that I'm going to stay close to those that are like me and love me. Because I don't want to get hurt by love. Then there's college-level love. That's where we seriously start to respond to God's love to us. What does love require of me? That's college-level love. Then there's graduate-level love. That's where I'm willing to make sacrifices. I fully understand God's love for me. I fully understand the cross. I've experienced His love in my heart. At graduate-level love, I'm willing to make sacrifices to show God's love to others. At this level of love, we make decisions that the world does not understand. In fact, the world will sometimes call us foolish. Even those who know Christ as their personal Savior sometimes would call you foolish because you operate in this level of graduate level love. And sometimes in life, my experience has been, it's your experience too, that while I want to operate in graduate-level love, sometimes I just go down to different levels of love because at graduate-level love, the sacrifice, the call for sacrifice is so great that I have to think, do I want to do this? Do I want to make that sacrifice? So the goal of this series is to help us make graduate-level love supreme in our lives to organize our lives in such a way that graduate-level love is supreme. Now, this is what happens to many of us as we walk with Christ, especially over a long period of time. While love is the greatest, it's not always the greatest in our life. Love sometimes just gets thrown into a whole other group of virtues that we know that we should have and that we're always working on. So sometimes you say, you know what, I just need to be more forgiving. I need to work on my forgiveness quotient. Sometimes I just need to have more patience. I need to work on my patience with other people. Maybe sometimes I just need to be a little more transparent and, and open with other people, and a little more honest with other people. Maybe I need to develop endurance somehow. And love gets thrown in with all of these other good qualities, that we're always working on. But that's not what love is. Love is not just another spiritual quality for us to work on. Love is the greatest. Love is at the top of the list. Not just something else to be put in the mix. Love is supreme. It's always on the front burner. Graduate level love. Now, if you still have your Bibles open there, we're going to look at just the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you'll have some some of the outline. We'll fill in the blanks on the outline. Is that what we do? Fill in the blanks on the outline. Number one, and I I realize I'm jumping into a a touchy area here, right at at the get-go. Love is greater... Than speaking in tongues. OK. Do, do we have that up there? Yeah, Love is greater than, than speaking in tongues. Now I've, I fully understand that uh, we don't understand tongues. The missionary church doesn't understand tongues. We have a position paper on this one gift. Some people will say, I don't like it. It scares me. Some will say it's not for today. Some will say that it's divisive. I understand all all those things that you're saying. Some will say, though, that it's a part of their private prayer language. I've never been a part of church where this gift was openly practiced. But I do believe that any church that is reaching into its community and bringing others into their church, there will be people in that church who will have this gift and will use it in their private prayer language, and it will be very meaningful to them. Now, at the Corinthian community church, the time of Paul's writing, there were people who were obsessed with speaking in tongues. And they thought that this speaking in tongues idea, which is true in some churches today, is the acid test for spiritual maturity. You must have this gift in order to be spiritually mature mature. In fact, in the Corinthian church, there was even the battle of the tongue speakers, wasn't there? In 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 14, Paul kind of separates that out so they will have an understanding, this is how it should be done. And over time, the, the tongues became so supreme that Paul said, you got it all out of perspective. So in the mix of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where he talks about spiritual gifts, he takes most of his time to talk about love. Now to bring this right down to where you and I live, the issue is not about tongues, but for us today, the issue is about any spiritual gift that is of greater importance in the church than the virtue of love. Love is not a gift, it's a virtue. Anything that we put above love in God's ears is sort of like us just beating on a symbol. You remember the old TV show, Long time ago, a long time ago, there was a TV show called The Gong Show. You remember that? I just got to look around. That's what God thinks about. Anytime we put anything above love, he runs over there and hits that gong. If mm-hmm. I was really on top of it, I would have got the gong out or something like that. But you get the idea. So, this is what he's saying. Anything you do for a show on Sunday, no matter what you do, any display of God's gifts, any display of his ability that overshadows the love that's in the people's heart, something's wrong. Because they will not know that we are Christians by our spiritual gifts. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. So you may volunteer in the children's department, you may, you may be a great trustee, this church has great trustees, you may move people from one city to another city, you may sing in the choir, play in the band, do all these things, but if on, you do all those things on Sunday, but if on Monday morning you don't have love in your marriage, you don't have love for your kids, you don't have love in the marketplace where you're going to be tomorrow, or wherever that is, that... That gift on Sunday morning is just an irritating sound in God's ears. Number two. God is more impressed with small acts of kindness than he is with a home-run sermon or a great Sunday school lesson. God is more impressed with small acts of kindness than he is with a home home run sermon or a great Sunday school lesson. Or being able to explain the mysteries of God in some very good way. If I have the gift of prophecy. A little background here. In the Corinthian church, there were some super preachers and super teachers. First Corinthians chapter one tells us about some of these guys. They probably even had their own fan clubs. Apollos would preach, and the people would say, Apollos, man, you're just the best preacher we've ever had. You're the man. Cephas would preach, and his fan club would get up and say, Cephas, you're just the best preacher we've ever had. And it became very divisive to the people, very divisive. And Paul says to them, if you could preach the best sermon that you could possibly preach... If every time you got behind the pulpit, people were just hanging on every word, if you could fathom all spiritual mysteries and had a truckload of knowledge to explain the deep things of God to the most simple of people, even if you were that type of preacher, but yet you lacked the fundamental skills of relating with others in a loving way, in God's eyes, you're a zero. Nothing. On a scale, you know, sometimes we get this evaluation thing. on a scale, of one to 10 tell us how good this was. No matter how good of a preacher you may think you are, a teacher you may think you are, if you lack the skills of loving others during the week, you don't even register on his scale. You are nothing. He does not say this is just a minor problem. Not a minor problem. Because sometimes we think, well, people who don't, don't love it, that's just a, just a blemish on their, on their character somehow, a pothole in their spiritual development somehow. But God says that's just not what it is. You're nothing. You're nothing. Now, to bring this gift of prophecy right down to where we live, it's not the gift of prophecy, but again, it's any public ministry in the church. It represents anyone who does anything in the church in a public way, anything at all. So is love the supreme value in your life as you do this public ministry? And when you're not doing the public ministry, how do you respond to your neighbor whose dog just got out? Or, how do you treat the waitress at the restaurant who didn't get your order right? Or, how do you treat the cashier at the store who somehow just couldn't make change even though it was right in front of her? Or, him? You get what I'm saying? The gift of graduate-level love is supreme. It overshadows any other spiritual gift that you and I may have, at least it should. Number three, growing in love is greater than demonstrations of power. Even if I had a faith that could move mountains, even if I was a miracle worker, Growing in love is greater than demonstrations of power. Wow, you know what? This world in which we live right today, we need mountain movers. We need people of faith that are mountain movers. And we could talk about mountain movers for a long time, or mountains that need to be moved for a long time, couldn't we? I would love to have someone in government that was a mountain mover, okay? Okay? It's so all the farther I need to go. <laughs> I'd love to have someone who could have a, be a mountain mover when it comes to this COVID thing. Maybe you need a mountain mover in your family. Maybe the mountain that you need to have moved is health or something like that. And just think of all the good that could be done if we had a mountain mover. People could be healed, lives could be made better. Put the mountain movers on the stage. Put those who have love in the background. Put the mountain movers on the stage. Because we need mountain movers. But the scripture says, love moves more mountains than faith will move the mountain." People of power, people who have power and that power is not controlled by love, sooner or later those people will gravitate towards corruption, towards evil, towards selfishness, There's many examples of this. You only have to look at some big companies that have gone bankrupt where the people in power walked off with millions and the other guys lost their job. You've seen that. Dictatorships, you only have to look at Venezuela. The person in power, no love, walked off with the country, everyone else is starving. And in the home... The guy who thinks he has the power and he rants and raves and everyone else is cowering in the corner because he has no love. But you put love into the person who has power, graduate-level love, into the person who has the power. And in the home, there's love and acceptance and freedom and expression. Everyone's safe and secure. Love to the people in power and government. They look out for others and not for themselves. Power in a company is best displayed when the owners, the guys at the top, look out for everyone under them in love. Love is greater, love has a greater impact than power. Number four, number five, number four here. If I give all I possess to the poor, love surpasses vows of poverty. There are some people who would say, well, you know what? I'm going to give all I have to the poor, and that's going to be a show of my expression of love. I've never known, personally, anyone who has taken a vow to poverty. I've never known the Mother Teresa type person. However, I have known people who had very high incomes and chose not to live at the stratosphere of their income but chose to live at a different level where most of us would live so that they could give their, most of their income, two-thirds of their income, to kingdom work. I know those people. I know of a farmer who had no children, but he had a farm. And when he and his wife passed on to heaven, I can say that here in this church, they gave their farm, the proceeds of their farm, the auction of their farm, to World Missionary Press here in New Paris. Mm -hmm. I know of people who have said no to the family fortune so that they could be missionaries on the field. And, Dad, I don't want your level of income. I don't want to live with all this materialism. I know some of those folks personally. love surpasses the vow to poverty. Then number five, the last one, love transcends martyrdom. Some people think, you know what, I'm going to put myself in difficult situations so that, it, it, uh, hey, if I die, I die, I'm just going to prove my love for the Lord. But God would say, you know what, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way at all. I want you to stay alive so that you can show love. Stay alive so that you can show love. Don't cop out and quit living. Stay alive. Let me end with this illustration. Years ago, there was a Dutch theologian who was at the top of his professional career. He'd already taught at Harvard, Yale, and Notre Dame. And even though he was growing in knowledge and popularity and influence, he had not grown in love towards others and that bothered him. In terms of his relational world, his heart was shrinking, and that bothered him. Maybe you and I can relate to that. I mean, for many of us, we have bigger homes than we had before. We have bigger bank accounts than we had before. We have bigger toys than we ever had to play with before. We have bigger businesses than we ever had to play with before. And we have bigger waistlines. Mm -hmm. But here's the question. Do I have a bigger heart? Has my capacity to love kept pace with the other gains in my life? this Dutch theologian decided that his capacity to love had not kept up with his capacity for knowledge and his professional gains. So you know what he did? He voluntarily moved into a home for the physically and mentally challenged so that he could grow in love. And to take it even further so that he would continue to grow every time he went out on a speaking engagement around the world, he took one of the people in that home with him so that he would be enrolled in the school of graduate level love even when he was on the road. The man's name is Henry Nuon, died in 1996. So here's the question. As you have gained in so many areas of your life, have you also gained in this area called graduate level love? Stay enrolled in the school that's called graduate-level love. Let's pray. And so, God, this week, you're going to give us opportunity to show graduate-level love. Don't know how it's going to happen. But because we want to stay enrolled in that school, You will just bring people into our lives that we can love. Thank you for the example of the cross where graduate level love really played itself out. In Christ's name, amen.